Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. If you were to get 10 chickens, put them together in a pen with a feeding dish full of chicken feed, and just stand back and watch what happens, you would find before too long a hierarchy would be established. And it, and it, it would be done by what is called the pecking order. And the way that this works is that uh, the dominant chicken will start pecking on all the other chickens, shooing them away from the dish. And, and, and he will take the, the prime position. He will be the top of the pecking order. And chicken number two, he'll maybe take it from chicken number one, but he's going to dish it out to all the others. And so chicken number two will establish his point in the pecking order and so on down the line to three, to four, to five, all the way down to number 10. And if you're at 10 on the pecking order, life is not too cool. Now, last week I brought in, um, I brought in some uh, uh, cornflakes to kind of give you an idea of what it looked like for a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, okay? And I thought this morning I would bring in some chickens. <laughs> but I thought that could get a little messy. I actually had some birds. I left the window of my car open this week. And just a crack so it wouldn't overheat inside the car. And some bird got into my car. And he left a mess. Okay? So I thought, 10 chickens, that's not going to do it. But we do have video. Because I want you to kind of get an idea of what the pecking order looks like. So watch this. Peck that determines who's boss. Aggressive pecks are generally directed towards the head and neck. Quite often from a bit more of a height, quite fast down, downward So it's peck. very specific then? Yes, yeah, very specific type of peck. The aggressive orange hen is called Margot. She dominates this group. Whenever Margot approaches the bowl, the other hens just move away. How does she do it? Often um, birds will just need to reinforce with a threat. It's usually a fixed stare and the, um, the subordinate bird will um, usually drop eye contact and duck away, maybe turn its head away or might even walk away. Wow, so that's quite subtle then, isn't it? it? Is just, a, just a little stare and yes. then the other chicken will back off. To the untrained eye, this is just a bunch of chickens pecking in a box. But when you study them closely, you can see just how sophisticated and varied their communication is. And if you're high on the pecking order, life is good. You get all the food that you want. You walk wherever you want. Everybody gets out of your way. If you're at the top of the pecking order, life is good. If you are at the bottom of the pecking order, life is miserable. Because you go hungry. Um, you don't, you don't, you, you're afraid all of the time. And you suffer from low, low self-esteem. That, that's the pecking order. Now, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we humans are so much smarter than those dumb chickens? Yeah. <laughs> not so much because we have our own pecking order now by the way this whole pecking order thing this is serious trouble for people who raise chickens it really is because chickens will die from the pecking order if they're further down they will get pecked on pecked on pecked on they will actually draw the other chickens will draw blood and these chickens will die and they, they've come, come up with some ingenious ways of trying to I, I learned so much about the pecking order by doing research this week online and I actually found one guy he found a solution was he got an old wool sock cut out some wing holes and some uh, leg holes in it, put it on the chicken, and it actually, I don't know if it was because it was wool, if it was just because it was an old sock, but it kept the other chickens from picking on them. This is no lie. I found this out. 
About 35 years ago, a guy named Randall Wise came up with an invention, contact lenses for chickens. Look it up. He started a business called Animal Lens. And the idea was it kind of, they were rose-colored, so they kind of, they couldn't see the blood that they were drawing. At least that's the theory. And, um, and it actually helped reduce the problem of the pecking order in the chickens. The problem was chickens didn't know how to keep good care of their contact lenses. They kept falling out, and the, some chickens went blind. They thought, okay, that's not a good idea. It's not going to work, okay? There's got to be a better way. If not for chickens, at least for us humans, and Jesus said there is, there's a better way. He called it servanthood. And he talked about it a lot. As he talked about establishing the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is now coming, he said, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's about serving. On one occasion, it's found in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Let me read it to you. It says, again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. They're on their way to Jerusalem, by the way. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now understand, Jesus has just kind of poured out his heart to them. This is a very, very tender moment. They're making their way to Jerusalem for the last time. This is like weeks before his crucifixion. He knows what's coming, and he begins to prepare his disciples for what's about to happen. And he just kind of poured out his heart for them. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, does that sound just a little bit inappropriate to any of you? (laughs) It's like... Parents, maybe you've kind of had this experience where you've, you've been kind of teaching your kid, or maybe you're at the, at the dinner table, and you've been talking about a serious subject, and you've been kind of, son, I want you always to remember, and I'm just, you know, just kind of real tender, sensitive moment. You think you're really making a breakthrough with your kids, and then he says something like, what are we having for dessert? <laughs> Can we have ice cream? You know, just like, wait a minute, you, you know, you're just not paying attention here, okay? That's what's happening. Jesus has poured out his heart to them, and they come and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Then the ten heard about this. They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, this new kingdom, this new society, this new culture that I am establishing is completely different than the way that you are used to. You are used to the pecking order. You are used to moving your way up that ladder. But I'm telling you, real greatness, true greatness comes from serving. 
Now, again, that's another one of those shocking statements. That's one of those uh, outrageous statements that Jesus made. And we've been looking at that through this summer, this whole idea of these outrageous claims. And they don't just, they're 180 degrees off of the way that we think. And we want, how can that be? What is so great about serving? I'm not crazy about that idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. But you find that every time Jesus makes the statement, he knows what he's talking about. And you find that there really is a greatness in serving. And I want to share just a few of these things. What happens? What's so great about serving? There's a couple of things that I want to share with you this morning. The first is this, that there's something about serving that attracts cooperation. There's something about servanthood that gets other people in on it. Because there is nothing that undermines cooperation more than selfishness and selfish ambition. And, and you know that. You, you maybe have worked with somebody or, or worked for somebody that you knew it was all about them, that it was all about their career advancement, and they wanted you to perform so that they would be made to look good. And you knew it. You, you instinctively, you knew it. And, and let me ask you, how motivated were you to help them in their career path? Not very. See, there's nothing that destroys cooperation more than selfishness. And one of the benefits of servanthood is it invites cooperation. Other people want to get on board. This incident happens towards the end of Jesus' life. It is in the last weeks of his life and ministry on this earth. And he's leading them up to something, and he's preparing them for what's about to happen. And in the middle of all of this, they come up, James and John come up and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That just gives you a bit of a peek into where their heads are at. And I would dare say it is not all that different than where our heads are typically at. What's in it for me? Yeah, 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 Jesus. Sorry about the flogging and the spitting stuff, but when you do enter your glory, (laughs) when you do enter your glory, could we be on your right and left? That's what their request is. Let one of us sit on your right hand and the other in your left when you enter your glory. That's a pecking order question. And I kind of, as I read that, I kind of think to myself, okay, these two guys, they're asking for the right and the left. It's like they're saying, okay, Jesus, we know, we know, yeah, it's, when you enter your glory, we know you get the penthouse suite, you get the penthouse office, but could we have the corner offices on the right and the left? You know, we, we know we're not the top, could, but could we at least be like right up there near the top? Could, could we have our, our special places there? And I wonder, as I was thinking about that this week, if it came right down to it, if Jesus said, okay, yeah, I think we could do that. I wonder what it would look like when those two guys try to figure out who gets the right and who gets the left. It's a pecking order question. What's in it for me? How do I benefit from this? I, I, yeah, yeah, I can be a part of that, but, but where do I benefit from all of that? And what happens is, what's interesting is the, result, uh, the reaction of the other ten. It says when the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Not because of their insensitivity to Jesus. They became indignant because James and John got there first. I wanted to ask him that question. See, there is something about about this me first attitude, this selfish ambition attitude, that it, it destroys community. It destroys cooperation. And if, and if we're, we're spending all of our time comparing ourselves with each other and competing with each other, there's no cooperative spirit. And we lose something very, very valuable. By the way, this was not the first time this subject came up. 
In fact, if you read just the chapter before that in, in Mark's gospel, it says they were, there was another time they're walking along the road, and there's this argument going on about who's the greatest, who's the greatest among all the disciples. And when Jesus confronts them and says, what is it you guys are arguing about? Nobody wants to admit it because they know they know. And so James and John, they're, this, is like, this is their chance to get away from the other guys. I was talking with someone just this week. They have been tasked with, this, with um, laying out the new org chart for their organization. And because there's been some um, position changes and new departments and all these different things, changes that happened in the organization, they have been assigned the task of putting together the org chart so it all makes sense out on paper. And, and they're telling me, you can't believe the reactions you get from people. It's like, well, how come his box is bigger than my box? How, how come they got an orange box and I got a red box? How come, how come we put us all on the same level because they're not over me? They're not over me. How come you put them, their line is higher than my line? And, and she said, at one point I just wanted to say, it's just boxes and lines on a piece of paper for crying out loud. But that's, that's the pecking order. Where do I fit in the pecking order? If I can't be at the top, at least I want to be in the top tier. Let me be up near the top. He says, listen, that nonsense doesn't get you anywhere. It creates silos, and it resists cooperation. And the truth of the matter is this. No matter how great you think you are, no matter how great your ideas, your agenda, your hopes, your dreams, no matter how great you might think that is, you are not going to accomplish it on your own. You will need the help of other people. And if it's all about you, you will not have people investing in you. Another great benefit of serving is it actually leads to greater accomplishments. You actually get more done and you get greater things done. It's amazing what can be accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. It's amazing what can be done. Jesus said, I am establishing a new community, a new society, a whole new culture, and it's not like what you are used to. He says, you know those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, how they lord it over them, and their high priests exercise authority over them. He says, you know how it works in the real world. You know how it, you've seen it happen. You, you've seen the chain of command in the Roman society, and the Roman society was very, very stratified. There were definite layers to the society and to the culture. And, and depending on where you were in that pecking order, you wore certain types of clothes. You got nicer togas if you were in the equestrian. Uh, you, got, you got to wear a gold ring if you were an equestrian. The further up you got in society, the more you got to show off. And Jesus says, you know how that works. You look around you and you see how the rulers, how they lord it over people, how they abuse their authority, how they take, take advantage of the people under them. And a Roman listening to that would say, well, sure, that's the whole idea. What's the point of climbing up the pecking order if you don't get to peck? You know? And Jesus says, no, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Not so with you. Followers of mine, not so with you. Christ followers... Not so with you. Northgaters, not so with you. Not so with you. It's a different agenda. There's greater things to be accomplished. And it's not about you and your kingdom. 
what Jesus does is he takes that pecking order and he turns the org chart upside down. He says, the greatest among you must be the servant of all. This is how the new society is going to look. This is what the kingdom come society looks like. This is God's kingdom culture. The greatest must be the servant of all. A number of years ago, a book came out written by a researcher named Jim Collins. The title of the book is Good to Great. And those of you who are in corporate culture, you've probably already read this book, maybe read it years and years ago. What he, he's a researcher, and what he did was, um, he actually did some research on what makes good companies great companies. How do they make that transition? Because there's a lot of good companies and, and, and a lot of good uh, businesses in the United States, but what makes for a great one? And they actually did some research and tried to narrow it down. What are the things that help a company become better than good and actually become great? And they defined it in a lot of different ways. And actually, he's extended that research not just in corporate America, but also in, in, in um, non, nonprofit organizations any organization what makes a good organization great and they came up with five different characteristics and one of them had to do with leadership and he said what we expect and in fact we actually kind of went out of our way to not put it all on the leadership we wanted to see all these things but it said it was undeniable as they did the research that there was a certain type of leadership that made for great corporations great organizations and when they delved into it the thing that they found that was common not charisma because that's what the other thing that they expected to find. Very charismatic leaders who could have rally people and just everybody wanted to follow them. But what they found was it wasn't a charismatic leader. In fact, very often the, the leaders of these corporations were not very charismatic. What they found, the distinguishing characteristic, what he called level five leadership, was humility. That they were great leaders. They, they wanted to see their organizations thrive. They wanted to see their businesses thrive and become great. And, but, but it wasn't just about them. What they found was that there was, there was this paradox, this tension between their drive and their personal humility. That these leaders of great organizations actually cared about the people that worked for them as individuals. They valued them. And it wasn't about their own career advancement so much as it was the good of the organization and the good of the people who worked in the organization. And I think Jesus would have sat back and read that book and said, well, yeah, I told you that 2,000 years ago. <laughs> There's nothing new about that. What made them great was this ability to care about other people. It's understanding they're not there for me. I am there for them. So here's a sentence I'm going to give you. In fact, this is going to be your homework this week. Very, very practical, because I want to break it down to an everyday, how do, we, how do we practice this? How can we do this? So take out your, if you haven't taken out your outline already, take it out now, get a pen. I want you to write down this sentence. Just write it down. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Write it down, write it down. In fact, I want, you to, I want this to be embedded in your brain, so I want you to say it out loud. Practice saying this sentence, okay? What can I do for you? You ready? What can I do for you? Okay, now say it like you really are going to do something, okay? What can I do for you? That one sentence, this week, this is your homework, I would like you to make a commitment to say, at least one time, each day, this week, I'm going to go to somebody and just simply ask them, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you need from me? 
and particularly if you are in a position of authority or leadership, if you have, or over a department or you own a business or, or maybe you have clients, what I want you to do is approach that as a servant and the way that you approach it. This is the servant. See, see the, the pecking order sentence is, what can I get for me? Let me be on your right or your left. The servanthood question is, what can I do for you? So the assignment is this week, at least once every day, maybe on your job, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your family, in your marriage, but just one day, this, each day this week, at least once, that question, what can I do for you? And just see what a difference it might make. See what a difference it might make between you and your employees, you and your customers. See, they don't exist for you. You exist for them. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. How does his kingdom come? When we practice his principles of the kingdom in our own lives. So that's your assignment. Can you imagine what a difference that would make if just everybody here this morning, just this week, each day, asked that one question and then did what needed to be done for that other person? So that's your homework. You accomplish a lot more. You have greater cooperation. And the last benefit of it, it leaves a greater legacy. You will leave a greater legacy. Here's the problem with the pecking order. Even if you get to the top of the pecking order, you are still a dumb chicken. <laughs> That's the truth. You're still a dumb cluck. <laughs> what do you want to come to the end of your life and say, I made it to the top of the pecking order? Big deal. Big deal. Do you know, no matter how important you are in your job, no matter how invaluable you might think you are, within five years of your retirement, nobody will remember you were ever there. In fact, I would go so far as to say, within five years after you are gone, most people will not remember you were here. Except maybe your family. You can change that. You can change that because when you invest in people, when you care about people, when you serve other people, you're investing in the kingdom of God. And that's eternal. That's eternal. That's the legacy you want to live. That's what you want to leave behind long after you are gone. Jesus said that's the heart of the gospel. That's, that's the heart of what we believe as Christ followers. He said this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You can invest your life in other people. The most humble servant that ever walked the face of this earth, the one who is willing to serve to the extreme, changed the course of human history. So much so that we, our calendar operates right around his life. Because he was a servant who gave everything. I mean, if you think about it, isn't that the gospel? God looked down on this mess in this world and he said, what can I do for you? <laughs> what can I do to change this? And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth asking the question, what can I do for you? And he healed 
and he taught, and he served, and he changed the world. Changed human history. He changed my history. He changed your history. If you put your faith in him. And he says, now, that kingdom, what I've done for you, now you do that for others. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So imagine with me if there were an outbreak of serving in this community. If there was an epidemic of servanthood and people asking each day, what can I do for you? How would that change the way people view the church? How would it change the way people view the kingdom of God? I don't know about you, but I'd like to give that a try. <laughs> I'd like us to give that a try. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Thank you.